Good morning, everyone. Today, we begin the last chapter in the Apostle Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13. Please bow with me in prayer. Oh God, we come before you this day as your people who are still somewhat scattered but still one in Christ and united to one another. We pray for you to impress upon our hearts the truth that teaches who we are in Christ and where our certain and secure hope lies. Help us this day to hear your word and be encouraged as we proclaim your goodness and faithfulness and saving grace and mercy. May our faith rest in you and you alone. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This is the 46th sermon in this series, which began in the middle of February 2019. Since that time, our associate pastor, Blake Johnson, has preached about 15 times and taken us to several other places besides the church in Corinth to baptismal waters, as a couple of our young people were baptized, through the letter of Jude and eight sermons, in several parts of Isaiah and Lamentations in two sermons, to Mary and Martha's house, where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, and most recently in 1 Peter 1 and Matthew 25. As Paul wraps up this letter to the Corinthians, he has about nine different things he needs to convey. First are some specific instructions concerning a very important collection of offerings that Paul is organizing for the poor saints in the mother church in Jerusalem. Second, Paul discusses his own upcoming travel plans. Third, he gives them instructions about Timothy coming to Corinth. Fourth, he informs them of Apollos' reluctance to come until a later date. Fifth, he exhorts them to be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, and let all that they do be done in love. Sixth, Paul admonishes those in the congregation who have not respected, as they should have, several of their leaders who are good examples for all of them to follow. Seventh, then he recognizes three more men who had come from Corinth to Paul and urges the Corinthians to recognize them in their service and maturity. Eighth, Paul communicates greetings from Aquila and Prisca and the others meeting for worship in their house and other brothers who were in Ephesus with Paul. And ninth, in between Paul's own personal greeting in verse 21 
and his benediction in verses 23 and 24, he delivers a very strong warning in verse 22 to those in the Corinthian congregation who were deliberately undermining the church. All in all, it feels like we're reading someone else's mail, which of course we really are. Since we know there's a second letter to the Corinthians that is next in the New Testament, we wonder what happened after his, this first letter that would require at least one more letter. Christ cared about these people and their struggles to live for him in a very pagan world, and so did the Apostle Paul. So we must pay attention to what he sees as being problems and how he addresses them and how he encourages them. Why? Because the struggles to live in our world today are not really that different. Please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter, so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus 
and Achaicus, because they've made up for your absence, for they refresh my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such men. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today we'll be covering the first paragraph in chapter 16. In verses 1 through 4, there are some specific instructions concerning a very important collection of offerings that Paul is organizing for the poorer saints in the mother church in Jerusalem. After concluding his discussion about resurrection, we now see the introduction of a new topic. That's one reason we see the phrase, now concerning, at the very beginning of verse 1. This is the fifth time Paul has used this phrase to introduce a new topic. And here it's about collecting funds to help the poor believers, especially in Jerusalem. We see for the saints in verse 1, and the place these saints are in verse 3, Jerusalem. Immediately, the importance of this endeavor becomes clear, especially as we realize that Paul has been working on this for quite some time. Verse 1, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. This collection is also referred to in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 and Romans 15 and Acts. And this collection was also one of the main reasons for Paul undertaking a third missionary journey. Why else was this collection so important to Paul? Well, of course, Paul was concerned about the well-being of his people, the Jews. But he also saw a unique opportunity for the mainly Gentile churches to demonstrate their oneness and care for the mainly Jewish church in Jerusalem. In other words, Christian charity was not tied to race or ethnicity. It's not hard to imagine how new believers in Jerusalem, who were mainly Jewish Christians, became the objects of great persecution from the Jewish authorities, especially the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling body, who considered these Jewish followers of Jesus as apostates. They were even driving some of these Jewish believers out of the city. But something else is going on that is not even mentioned here, and that is a severe and devastating famine from a widespread drought plaguing many parts 
of the Eastern Mediterranean world. Those most affected would be the poor. Sound familiar? This was foretold in Acts chapter 11. The Jerusalem church, which at that time oversaw the churches that Paul founded, mainly among the Gentiles, was now in a precarious and very needy position. That these newer Gentile believers would give generously to help the older and more established Jewish believers in Jerusalem was a tremendous opportunity to demonstrate the oneness of being in Christ. This is the basis for Paul's insistence about the importance of following through with the Corinthians giving. And with that in mind, Paul now gives them his specific instructions about how to do this with the right heart and attitude and how to do it faithfully and orderly. As he said in verse 1, all the instructions that follow are what Paul had already given the churches in Galatia. On the first day of every week, in verse 2, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. Now it's very clear that the churches met on Sundays for worship, as the first day of the week was customary Jewish wording for what we call Sunday. For Jewish believers, this change from a Saturday worship to Sunday worship was nothing less than monumental, simply because it had been ingrained in the very fiber of every Jew for hundreds and hundreds of years. Only one thing could have precipitated this change, and it was, of course, the resurrection of Jesus Christ on Sunday morning a sign of the new creation only found in him. So Sunday universally became the day of Christian worship for all the churches. And on every Sunday, each one of them we read, each and every member of that Corinthian church was to put aside an amount of money based on their income, their ability to give. In other words, there was no required amend, mentioned here as in a tithe. To put something aside is in the present tense, indicating that every believer in every church Paul had founded must do this regularly every Sunday, he says. In other words, all the Corinthians were to put aside something according to whatever measure each had prospered. And what were they to do with it? Paul says they were to store it up. Paul does not say where the something should be stored, but this seems to imply that the individual believers should take the initiative to make sure these weekly amounts are designated and stored for the Jerusalem church, probably in the Corinthian church, until Paul arrives to collect them all. In ancient times, there were literally no such banks as we are familiar with. 
This is a collection of funds that is separate from gifts given for the local needs, which are distributed by the deacons of the church. So this is not a one week or short collection period. This is a rather long and significant effort so that the funds gathered each week would build up over time and be ready for Paul whenever he arrived. All the communication about this had to be delivered literally over land by walking or riding if possible, but not usually, and across the sea, powered by wind. So it took a while to get everyone the same instructions. And his point was so that there will be no collecting when I come. In other words, when Paul does arrive, the Corinthians will not have to take up a sudden collection in a rush. Instead, Paul's plan is that everything will already be ready to go. Verse 3, And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. Letters of commendation were very common and necessary in the ancient world for people traveling, especially with business involved. What is clear here is that Paul counted on the Corinthians to choose men with integrity and good reputations and for those men to bring the gift to Jerusalem. In Paul's second Corinthians letter, chapter 8, verses 20 and 21, we get a good sense of the stakes involved in delivering such a large sum of money. We read there, we take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. A group of trustworthy men then would make the journey to Jerusalem, taking every precaution to handle the money in a way that kept them from criticism. Now you notice that was in 2 Corinthians, those last two verses. And that letter was written about a year after the one we are studying. So, just that information tells us how long this process was taking and how thorough Paul had to be in administrating his instructions. The money here in those last two verses in 2 Corinthians 8 is called a gift. And that word is charis meaning a charitable donation as an expression of goodwill. It's the gracious gift of Christians in Corinth to those in Jerusalem. Verse 4, If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me, those representatives that the Corinthians were picking. 
So Paul is committed not to do anything that would raise suspicions about how this money was being handled. On the one hand, he wanted to be in charge of sending the men bearing the gift, which is one reason he insisted on writing credentialing letters for those chosen. But on the other hand, he refused to be personally totally responsible for collecting, safeguarding, and delivering, which is one big reason he spread out the responsibility to so many others. Here in verse 4, we see Paul really asking the church members whether they think it's proper or advisable for him to travel with their representatives to deliver the gift. We find out later that he did come to believe he should accompany the gift with the others, and so he did go. We know that from Acts 24 and Romans 15. There are several other general theological principles in these four verses that apply to all Christian giving in the church, not just to a special targeted gift for a specific purpose, but we must understand the distinction here. Paul teaches that giving should be systematic on a general scale. On the first day of the week here, but also this applies to bi-weekly or monthly or whenever the pay comes. It should also be organized. The church takes the collection. Unless a person gives above their usual gift to their church, directly to missionaries, Christian organizations, etc., like many do today, but that's usually on top of what is given to the church and it's possible because of our technology. And giving should also be proportional as the believer has prospered. So the general principles that apply mostly to all general types of giving, it must be systematic, organized, and proportional. But over and above these principles, Notice the special attention and concern that Paul gives to helping the poor, especially fellow believers who have suffered for the name of Christ, because of a natural disaster, many other circumstances and situations. Remember Hurricane Harvey that flooded huge areas of southeast Texas in the late summer of 2017, we were able to specifically target the Houston church that Blake and Candace had been members of and just recently left to come here and serve us. Giving gifts to the Lord for the upkeep of ministering the means of grace and for the needy is an act of worship. Examples are numerous throughout the New Testament of this kind of giving. And I'm going to read just a few. But notice the references to believers in need. The words used to identify other believers in Christ are most often brothers and sisters and saints. 
in Matthew 25, verses 35 through 40. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. And notice what he says. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. In Acts chapter 9, verse 36. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In Romans chapter 12, verses 8 and 13. The one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. In Galatians 2, verse 10, and also chapter 6, verse 10. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do, Paul writes. So then, as we have opportunity let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 8 and 16, and also in chapter 6, 18. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household. He has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. As for the rich in this present age, Charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. In Hebrews 13, verse 16, Do not neglect to do good, and to share what you have. 
for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. In James chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? In 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? Let's pray. O oh Lord, our God, may our worship and praise to you today be found to be from hearts that are yearning to know you better and trust you more. May we apply what we've learned today about caring for one another more wisely, more earnestly, and more intentionally. In Jesus' name, amen. Our benediction today is from Jude verses 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now and forever. Amen. Take care in our Lord Jesus Christ. Have a good week.